Guys, welcome back to our studio's ESL podcast. Today has to be one of the most special days of them all. You know why? Because this man who's sitting right in front of me, he was the one who was sitting in the teacher's room, looked over his right shoulder and said, Arsidio, you're not utilizing all your skills. I said, Eddie, what are you talking about? What do you mean by that? He said, you have a radio voice. You should make a podcast. And I said, what's a podcast? So we went through the particulars and I said, well, what am I going to talk about? He said, listen, you'll figure it out. And of course, what, what was that? Well, I'd say how about three years, eight months later, here I am with two podcasts that total possibly a hundred thousand plays along with the motivational mentors. And I just can't be thankful enough, man. Eddie from Ireland, man, welcome to the Arsenio's ESL podcast. Well, God damn, that is an introduction <laughs> for I got an introduction. I, although I would love to sit here and take credit for all of your achievements to this point there. I just don't think it's fair, my man. I don't think it's fair. There it is in you. It is a shining light. It is no two ways about it, man. You are a shining light in those dark days. And you pulled me through as much as I pulled you up. So don't be, don't be sending it all my way, man. It's all down to you. It's all down to you. <laughs> Eddie and I, man, we worked together. Man, we got plenty of crazy stories and whatnot. But Eddie, first and foremost, I want you to just tell, oh my God, I don't know where you want to start in the past. or you want to start from when you started traveling and whatnot? How'd you ended up in Thailand? Now being back in Ireland, just, just d d tell us a nice little story about Eddie. You, you want one of my Irish yarns in my in my lovely Irish accent? Well, be God and be God, let's get down to business. Uh, my sort of journey, I suppose, started back in 2007 when there, the, the glorious economic downturn hit the world. And I, at the time, was a landscape gardener, believe it or not. And the first industry to go in Ireland in the construction sector was uh, the landscape garden due to the fact that it was non-essential industry. So I had been tinkering with the idea of returning to college for a number of years. So I seen it as an opportunity. And due to the fact that the government was giving a lot of grants for people who were in my situation to return to college, I said, hey, who am I to argue with, with a nice lump sum grant? And I jumped in my boat seat, feet and kind of, I started off doing an event management uh, degree. Due to the fact that I was actually involved in music for most of my life, I kind of decided that was a, a natural sort of trajectory for me. But I took to it like a fish to water and kind of I moved on then from my degree into an honest degree in hospitality, tourism and event management. And then um, the economy still hadn't returned enough for me to actually go out there and try and find a job. So I said, how the hell with this? Masters it is. And so I jumped in and did an entrepreneurship and a marketing master's degree. And when I finished that, I kind of, I burnt out quite badly. And it was kind of, it was quite a long time since I'd started the whole process of education. So I decided maybe I'll, I was married. I was 40 years old. I kind of, I'd, it was time for a change in my life. I kind of decided to sell absolutely everything I owned apart from a bass guitar and a motorbike. <laughs> and I put it, what was left into a very small bag and I headed for Thailand with the intention of traveling around the world for a number of years. And finally moving my way back to Ireland there, kind of and find a job of some sort for myself. And uh, lo and behold, landed in Thailand, met your good self, as I said, along the, along the way. And I also met a lovely, a lovely lady, as, as happens on the travel. So I decided to stay in Thailand for a number of years. And uh, while in Thailand, I kind of, uh, I, it was, I had a great time in Thailand. I ended up being vice principal of an international school, if you remember. It wasn't a very good international school. <laughs> the name will remain nameless. 
They must have been fairly stuck if they had to hire me, but. <laughs> true, that, but, um, true that. True that. True that. But uh, I, it was still an international school and I was still the vice principal. So it's on my CV, so there. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I stayed there for a number of years and um, I, I said I very much enjoyed my time. I got married out there. Um, but once I got married, I kind of I put my sights firmly back on returning home to Ireland. And with my wife and uh, my two new adopted children. So as I said there, it's, it's, I came back with quite a souvenir collection. Most people come back with a, with a cactus or a statue. I come back with a wife and two kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's a souvenir for you, my man. <laughs> but I came back anyway. And um, as with all, I suppose, transitions back into Ireland, um, it, I found it quite difficult. My, the, my music sort of career that I had quite well established before I had left uh, working in event management has moved on and I thought I'd kind of step back into that no problem but the whole industry had changed and but the people that I had um, met and kind of and worked with nearly became my family had also moved on and so it was quite a difficult transition back and um, I struggled on a number of occasions tried a few different careers some of them didn't work out some of them put me on the right trajectory but I ended up in a good position now where I'm actually work for a semi-state body uh, in Ireland and uh, my role is an employment and training officer where I pretty much go out into the community and meet people who may have gaps in their skill sets and it's my job to develop courses then to try and fill those uh, gaps to move them closer to the labour market and in doing so there uh, kind of enhance their opportunities for employment on a, on, on a day-to-day basis. So that's kind of what I'm doing at the minute, along with a few other bits and pieces, as I was telling you in, in our downtime there a few minutes ago, which involved <laughs> lecturing, course development, curriculum development, all sorts of developments, yeah. and personal development, including my own. And so and here I am now, having a good old chat with you, good sir, and with all your lovely listeners out there in Radioland. Oh, my God, man. Guys, you, ha- you have no idea, man. Eddie and I, it's so funny looking back. And see, this is what I love so much about my podcast, especially, Eddie, it just talking to you again because you were able to see me at my most vulnerable you know what i mean you were able to see me while while i was just playing the victim role every single day and always pointing fingers at why i you know why everyone hates me and this and that and so um to see both of our transformations you just going from thailand and now finally getting yourself settled out there it's just amazing um and you know it's what the it's, it's it's a journey. I always refer to it as a journey, and no journey goes uh, without incident. You know what I'm saying? There's always a flat tire on the way somewhere. You always <laughs> blow a head gasket. Yeah, you fly in the bird shit. It happens. Yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's true. And that, and and it's, the same can be said for the personal journey. So we're all on that journey. So and that's just the way life is. So we all have those down points. And the good thing about it, though, is when we actually sometimes there, when we least expect it, we bump into someone who actually changes everything for you. For, for you, I don't mean to take credit there, but I, I pointed a, a spotlight on an area that you didn't even think of. You're right. Absolutely. And it took you off. You went, oh, there you go. And it's, it's, it, that's what meeting good people is about. And you can only achieve that through being out there, putting yourself out there, making yourself vulnerable. Mm. Put yourself in those vulnerable positions and allow people to see you at your vulnerable points. And see who steps in to say, listen, buddy, I got an idea for you. That's absolutely right. And you know what? Self-sabotage. I mean, Ooh. I mean, if you look at it this way, um, victim language and everything that we've been mm-hmm. through, you know, especially throughout the journey, 
be kind of, I was sabotaging myself of all my gifts. However, I didn't know that I had different gifts until, you know, either someone points it out for me or I learned something along the way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know what? I'm actually going to see how gifted I am when I'm standing on a stage, you know, in front of 150 yeah. people very soon. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But um, self-sabotage is something where people, they do it. It's habitual and they don't even realize they're doing it. I, I remember speaking to another guy uh, in the first episode. This is the second episode of the self-sabotage series. And I was telling him about this, you know, this American football documentary on Netflix by the name of Last Chance You. And these younger African-Americans, they have the world in front of them. They went into universities. Next thing you know, they continue making poor decisions. It could be robbery. It could be assault. It could be this. And then they land at this last chance you with the last chance on the line before they go back to the hood and end up dead in five years. And mm. they continue to sabotage, uh, sabotage themselves. So while you were living here and we were under such an umbrella where – it just it just seemed like there were so many people from so many different walks of life. Did you see any sabotaging happening? Like, you know, people saying, you know, I need to stay here because of what had happened in my past with my wife, and I moved here to Thailand for this reason or that well, reason. You know what I mean? We, we, me and you, uh, like I suppose I'm sort of unique uh, in relation to your uh, – compared to your regular guests in the, the fact that me and you work side by side in Thailand, and we've seen – quite a lot of that. We've seen people who have abandoned lives in their home countries and kind of ran away from the, the lives that they had developed or for whatever reason. It could have been a broken down marriage, a marriage. It could have been financial debt that they just couldn't face up to. It could be any number of reasons there. But when you travel with that amount of baggage, it doesn't dissipate when you go to another country. You carry it internally. Again, unless you actually step up to the mark and deal with what you have to deal with. Running away from something is never going to be the way to do it. You can hide from it. You can camouflage it. But the, the, uh, the bag of shit is still a bag of shit. Yeah. And, bags, and, and a bag of shit weighs heavier than any other bag you can carry. You know? <laughs> and there's no two ways around that. It's just, it is what it is. And, I'll, and what I tend to find in my own job, due to the fact that I work uh, largely with uh, areas in, uh, in the, I suppose, development areas, kind of... Um, I suppose, um, the lower kind of ranks of the economic status in our area. So it, it, I, what I find in relation to sabotage, and as many times it's environmental as well. You know, I think environment plays a huge part in it. I think that people kind of, uh, when they look at their ex external families, things along those lines, especially when, when we speak about unemployment in our areas, like uh, in, in unemployment in Ireland there, sometimes there can be a generational thing where whole entire families might have never been in any form of employment. For grandpa didn't work, ma didn't work, they don't work, and chances are the children won't work. So in that sense, there the self sabotage is just something. It's, it's almost like a career. They have they're completely unaware that they're doing it, and yet any intervention at any kind of point could break that circle completely and make them see life in a completely different way. And so that's sort of part of what my job is: to actually step into that circle and say, "Punch." There's a crack in it now. It's about there and says, have you ever thought of looking over that fence and see what happens over here? And that's what my job is sometimes, to step into that firestorm. And in many ways, they are terrified because they've become so accustomed and institutionalized into the social welfare system in Ireland 
that they have no, they're so terrified of changing anything or even putting their heads up or putting their hands up and asking a question in case someone says, oh, we're going to take some of your social welfare away. So they're terrified, absolutely terrified. So it's part of my job to go in there and make them believe and see that there's nothing to be scared of. We're not going to take everything away from you. What we're going to try and do is intercede at a point and make you see that their life has other options available for you. It can be a very scary thing for them, and it can get, sometimes get very, very annoyed at yours truly. And so I have to be quite a brave character sometimes and let them believe that I'm going to hold their hands the whole way through this transition. So that's in relation to self-tabotage is how I see it on a day-to-day -day basis. Largely down to the fact that it's environmental. Within our parameters, and within the kind of the parameters of what I have to deal with, it's largely environmental and it is cross-generational. And it is habitual, as you say. It is, it is a behavior that is learned and passed down from generation to generation. And so at some point, we have to step in there and kind of break that, break that mold, give it a punch and go, go. Right. not happening anymore it's my job that you change this and that's what i do for them that's what i do these days oh my god wow this is so much you covered just right there you know what in my family my aunt is the only one that was i guess deemed as successful for whatever reason that was i'm not exactly sure if she graduated from university i'm not really i'm, I'm not sure at all but she had a really good job out there in new york so i remember every time my mom said hey this summer your aunt and your grandma's coming we're like, oh my God, yeah, she has money. That's what my mom always taught us <laughs> to believe. Like, your aunt's coming, she's bringing money, make sure you ask her for things. And it was just bone crushing at one point because she ended up sending me messages back in 2015 around the same time I met you saying, hey, you know what? I actually see what's going on with your family. Your mother, she's trying to ink out as much money from me as she possibly can and this and that. I'm like, Sorry, Aunt Abigail, but yeah, that's basically what her nature was. So my mom, that victimization, hmm. I didn't necessarily see it in me until I actually came to Thailand. I had to, and I endured in so many things out here. But you said cross-generational, and people are unaware that, you know what, maybe your, gra your grandma had that scarcity mindset, and then that mm -hmm. loophole to your mother, and then that loophole to you. If you look at the welfare system out there in America, that is generational, absolutely. And my mom, I always say, mom, why don't you want to move out of that disgusting neighborhood? And she's like, oh, well, I don't have any money. I don't have this. I don't have that. I don't have this. It's continual self-sabotage. Believe in these things that she has always believed in. Yeah. It's imprinted on them. It's a, it's been, it's as 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 young people especially. That's where that's where the the, the big um, break can be made. It's with the young, next generation coming out. When you have people leaving school early, one of the big things that we're trying to do there is actually intercede when it when a, a kid is in danger of leaving school early, and for whatever reason that is there. Is I, I have to jump out there and jump in and say, why is this going to happen? Let's see what we can do. What alternatives are there to? school for this kid is it going to be maybe if we get them into an apprenticeship are we going to put them into a transition we have things over here called youth reach systems mm -hmm. where if, the, if school isn't working out they can transition directly into this and we'll see about getting them their high school diplomas things like that and maybe education is not for them but maybe they're really great with their hands we see about getting them into apprenticeships things along those lines it really has to happen at that level because at that point they're more susceptible to being imprinted on the negatives that is in their lives. So if their parents are saying, oh, just go on to the social welfare, just go on to the door, just go on to the thing that there, and you can write it out, and you can get a girl pregnant, and then if you get two or three kids out of that girl, they'll give you a social welfare housing, and you can live your life that way. So we're trying to actually change that mindset 
when we see it, when we adapt it. And kind of, we're lucky enough now that we're working with so many really quality teachers out there to say, listen, we have a student here who's in danger of dropping out early. So I put on my thinking cap. They get to meet the, the wonderful lady who literally can talk a hole in the wall. I have most people begging me, please, I'll do anything you want. Just stop talking to me. We've been here for three days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the US Army could use me as a tactical torture. To just, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> that. So right. like, uh, when, I, when I put on my thinking cap, I literally do my best to sort of change their view of things to identify what is the imprinting factors that are making them behave in such a manner. Is it environmental? Is it uh, from from family? Is it so? Is it socio-cultural? What is it that's causing them to actually to think along these lines and see if we can change it? You know. So um, unfortunately, sometimes it works with, 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 in some cases, but a lot of the times, there's not an awful lot you can do. So kids can get involved in in uh, criminality and kind of some cases being in front of the courts. Like when they're 16 or 17, could be some of them could be in front of the courts 100 times at that stage. Mm-hmm. So. We're trying really to actually be that mentoring sort of factor now and kind of get in there early and identify what is the sabotaging factors, what, what's causing this to happen, the self-sabotage, and see if we can actually change it. Mm, so environmental factors, like in terms of environment, could this be like social, geographical, what exact, what kind of yeah. environmental well, factors are like, you, you know, and I'm sure all your listeners out there know that everyone knows that neighborhood where all the, where they perceive all the neighborhood, uh, all the issues are coming from, that cancer of society. That yeah. we all Donald Trump says Baltimore, yep. right? <laughs> Donald Trump says a lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I guarantee if you got to put a map up and said point out Baltimore, you probably point out. Like, <laughs> that guy is nine kinds of dumb. But anyway, I don't want to mean to be offending any of your listeners. I don't want to be getting any kind of yeah, letter bombs. Yeah, guys, don't know me the press. But anyway, um, moving on back to my um, series head. Uh, yeah, we all have that. Um, I suppose neighborhood in our community where. Uh, people are perceived to be from the lower lo- lower classes or um, dep- uh, socially deprived or whatever it is. And we all have that misconception that uh, this is where crime comes from. But we don't realize the fact there that 90% of the people from those areas are genuinely good people and how they just, for whatever reasons, couldn't get their foothold together. What happened? So instead of actually taking resources from them there, Get the lobbying groups there to reinvest in it. Get the get the community groups going. Get to the community centres going there. Get uh, government subsidies uh, in place there so that childcare is paid for. So like the, we can then take the parents away and actually get them trained up, get them a skill set, and and usually within the same organisation, within the same uh, building as well. So at some point they can walk down and see their child in the crash, and hold them in jail and go back, then go back to the classroom. And then get them that qualification. And then really, really, instead of actually having it as a classroom sort of setting where there's a teacher up there and they're like, you do this, you do that, you do the other. And you change it around, it's much more interactive. So we're moving away from classroom-based to sort of a continuous assessment. How you behave. Things along those lines there. And really change their perception of the world from that state. And, and the perception of their own communities. Because if you're from that community, you're, not, you're very aware how people see you. So it's about changing how the, the overall society interacts with as communities are beginning to actually feel the stresses of unemployment or crime or whatever it is. So it's really is, it's a massive marketing campaign as well, I suppose. 
Well, yeah, you're getting in there and you're working for, in, down down to the into the, the nitty gritty of it, though. You know, so like uh, dealing with the, dealing with the, the the drugs, all that kind of stuff there, which is a, a cancer in everyone's community. You know, so and unfortunately, no, it used to be a big city problem, but now unfortunately, every small town is is experienced um, issues with that there. But it's trying to get that that, that uh, intervention early enough there. Like there's there's new um, government laws coming out there that anyone caught in in Ireland, which is, I think is a really good thing, where people caught with cannabis, uh, the, the, uh, when they're caught by the police in Ireland, they're not referred to any criminality act there. They actually have to go and see a doctor. Wow. So that's their punishment. They go see a doctor, and then when they go see a doctor, if the second time, then they're actually caught with with something on those lines. They're referred to treatment. Then only after the third or fourth time, then you're actually kind of just starting about uh, prosecutions along those lines or, inter- or kind of legal interventions. But the first few times now anymore there, it's like, okay, we're going to have to get you to go to a doctor. And then that's when you have to go to the doctor or you will be in trouble. So at that point then, then you're going to start talking to professionals. You're going to start talking, he might be referring to a psychiatrist. So let's see, okay, you have to go and see a psychiatrist. You have to follow on and see, and then they get down to the bottom of what's causing it. What's, what's the root cause of this? Why is this self-tabotage happening in the first place? And once you become aware of something, once you become uh, like a fully aware of your self-sabotage, then it's like putting a mirror up there. You can't deny it anymore. You know, it's there. It's in front of you. And then you have to face up to it at some point and say, okay, I'm at a junction. What do I do? Do I continue down the road of self-sabotage? Or do I actually make a change in my life for the positive and see what, what, what lies down this road? Because I know what lies down the other road. More self-sabotage, more drug addiction. All I have to do is look around me. My friends are in prison. I say, okay, what's down this road there? There's tra- free training for me. Like That's one good thing about, the, I suppose, the Irish government here. They're spending a huge amount of free training. All you have to do is put your hand up and say, I'd like to be something. And yeah. say, right, you want a degree with that? Or how about a master's degree? Because it did for me. That's what it did for me. Right. So, that, that, so would you like a master's degree? How about a PhD? There you go. That's just, you just go down that road down there. We'll take care of everything. So that's what's happening. So as, as a society, we're stepping up and actually saying there, we know the cause factors. How are we going to implement them? How are we going to actually bring our ideas and put them face to face with the people who need them most and make them see that it's not going to be a negative in their life. It's going to be a positive. Wow. Um, when it comes to like both you and I, we used to self, what, what is it? Everyone has endured in some of this self-sabotaging at some point. Oh, God, yeah. It's part and parcel of who is part and part of being human, I think. Absolutely. So what is it like when it comes to seeing the people and you helping people and whatnot, like what are some ways that they can help themselves overcome it? Because, again, you cannot always be there to hold their hand and whatnot. No. If if I'm someone, like, okay, my star role is as as to, to, to jump in and say, listen, there's a problem here. But f- as I think becoming aware of the problem is Ooh. critical. We all have to become aware that we are humans. We are uh, not, we are imperfect beings and we are action packed full of uh, self-doubt. Mm. You know, like, and that's what it is to be human. And to move past self-doubt is a huge, huge undertaking. So kind of, uh, for me, it was, uh, I, always, I always kind of was into performing I kind of put myself out there anyway. For as a performer, you're putting yourself out there to be disliked or liked, uh, whatever the case may be. So um, being ridiculed was always part of who I was. So I kind of, in that sense, there, I was never scared of putting myself out there. 
But I still have my own issues now. Like I said, I've, in my 20s, I had an awful trouble with alcohol, as a stereotypical Irish man, I suppose. But um, my culture had nothing to do with that, that your definition of how much of a man you were happened when you could first drink 10 pints of beer and still keep standing. <laughs> so that was part of my... That was part yeah. of my upbringing. So being aware of that was actually was, was actually part and parcel of me. But right. unfortunately for me, it got a hold of me. So in my late in my mid twenties, I had a very bad alcohol problem. So I had uh, become aware of that before I could make any serious change in my life. But I, I believe I believe that alcohol, in many ways, stole ten years of my life. So it's wow. when I finally came out came out of that and the haze lifted. I was beginning. I I was then able to make the steps take the steps that was necessary for me to make the changes in my life. But it wasn't easy. Like, in, like the, 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 I didn't know who to turn to. I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't know anything along those lines. I was literally like being thrown, born into the world again, like a, a sober man, which is, for being Irish, was <laughs> a terrifying prospect. How do I face this sober? No. But I did, and I got to the end of it. But I think that um, having an element of self-awareness is critical. Um, identifying that you are not perfect and you're never going to be perfect, mm. you know, and uh, give your, yourself permission to make mistakes and give yourself permission and, and also forgive yourself for your any past mistakes. Absolutely. So, I think you know, that's so. one right there, like guilt. And you know what? This is why it goes so much deeper. Um, and this is why, man, it's crazy how much I'm a learner, you know what I mean, compared to like three years ago uh, and constantly – just trying to figure out, is it my subconscious mind that's controlling my entire reality? And of course, 95% of your subconscious mind is your reality. So this is why some, some people, they try to be positive for one day and it never works. Why? Because that's oh. only 5%, that's 5% conscious oh. mind. I'm, go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue with that on, on, on that oh. one, actually. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I've, got, I've got a theory on reality. And, um, okay. and it's something I heard along the way, along my years of being out there. And just, and there is no such thing as reality. And this, I'm not pulling this from the matrix in case you're out. <laughs> okay. So, your reality, my reality and your reality are two very different things. Mm-hmm. You are um, a black man from America living in Thailand. Mm-hmm. There's no way on earth I can fully put myself into your shoes. And on, although no matter how much empathy I have, mm-hmm. I can't put myself in your shoes. I can't live your life because your life is just some of your experiences. Yeah. So your reality and your perception of reality is completely different to mine. So all there really is, is perception. Perception of the world. Mm, yes. So, so my, my, my experiences, my life, has been uh, from the, uh, a, a little island on the outskirts of Europe. That uh, I grew up in the middle of the troubles here in Ireland. So like, I had that sort of uh, kind of uh, imprinted on me from, from a very young age. And so kind of, as in many ways there, we used to see the English as the boogeyman, you know? So, yeah. uh, so that, was, <laughs> that was my thing. So I, I, I remember in Thailand making friends with, with, with English people and stuff out there. And this is so strange for me. Like, you know, they're, they're not evil. They're not the, they're not the <laughs> boogeyman. <that's> the <laughs> right. You know? So it's, uh, so it, uh, I am now the sum of my own experiences. And so... My reality from being, say, a drunken Irishman to where I am now, an educated Irishman who doesn't touch alcohol at all and has traveled the world and seen it, is completely different. When I, I, and due to the fact that I only stopped drinking in my 20s, my late 20s, I still have recollections of what my perception of the world was at that point, my reality. So it was a very different, vastly different 
intera interaction with the planet or the, the people I used to engage with around the planet. And it was geographic as well, because I never really traveled at the time. So my views of the world were very, very different. So your reality changes as you develop as a human being. And the more investment you make into yourself as a human being, the better your perception of the world would be. And your perception of the world determines your reality. Wow, that is powerful. Man, I hope people understand that, especially around the world. Because, again, the more you travel the world, it's kind of like, Eddie, I was talking about it uh, just recently. You know what? If we had international schools in every city around the world, I mean, do you think some people would say mindfulness could like abolish all racism and what cynicism and whatnot. But if you put an international school in the heart of every city around the world and force us, well, I wouldn't say force us, but allow, allow us to live amongst each other. I think a lot of the war, I wouldn't say it's that much more, but you know what? A lot of that war would cease to exist today because we would finally change our perception of what, other people's perceptions of life were. And sometimes we inherit that. It's kind of mm. like you go to, you go, if I go to China and they say, oh, you, you, oh, are you a rapper? Are you an athlete? Are you this? That's their perception. They believe that all specific people of color are rappers or they are mm. athletes because of what their perception was and how it was adopted from another human being that gave them that perception. That is yeah. true. And all Irish men are drunks. Right. Is that, the, is that what the perception is? Oh, yeah. And we're all leprechauns. I know something along those lines. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the thing is, Americans, they're, the vast majority of Americans, their percent, I wouldn't say the vast majority, let's just say 80%. 80% of Americans believe that once you get off the plane in uh, Australia, you go into the terminal, and there are kangaroos hopping around all over the place. Yeah, like it's, it, it really is. It's, it's, it's down to... It's down to how a country wants to see themselves uh, marketed. Like, you know, like Irish, Irish people kind of uh, are now, Ireland is a, is, is a marketing dream at the minute. Like we're selling our product as a country all over the world. There we have millions of tourists coming in. And so we market ourselves in a certain way. And we're trying to move away from the, the alcoholic Irish man and all that kind of stuff. And uh, which is actually quite true because young people nowadays, as they're all around the world, are more body image uh, conscious and they want a six pack. You're not going to have a six pack if you're going to be drinking beer all day. So that's just fine. <laughs> yeah. Trust me, I know. Mm. But um, we as a, as, as a global society, we, we have a bit to go. I think we were doing well and I think um, economic issues uh, that were nothing to do with immigration or migration or anything along those lines there were uh, used as a political tool to actually move certain people into power that shouldn't be in power. So I'm not going to name, mention names, but anyway, we all know who we're talking about. <laughs> uh, so um, I said that the economic crisis had nothing to do with migration. It got to do with very greedy, very wealthy men. Mm. And um, as, as a result of that there, they had to blame somebody. So unfortunately, that's what, that's what happened. Oh, so, um, you know, so... Be. What's that? Yeah, I heard that in a movie. That is yeah, crazy. No, yeah, no, it, yeah. like, oh, like uh, the, the, the woes of the world are nothing to do with migration. It's got to do with very wealthy men. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I heard we have to get yeah. the, the idea of the big alien coming down, all that stuff. You're the one that said that Trump is an alien, not me. But, <laughs> but anyway, listen, for a man who doesn't like immigrants, his mother's from Scotland. Listen, just saying. <laughs> just saying, man. Listen. 
Native American Indians are the real Americans. That's it. That's Everyone it. else, That's we're it. just all visitors. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. I remember that sign there. I can't remember the one of the guys there. One of the I watched on a CNN with them there, and it was uh, a protest. Uh, like immigrants out, like you know, a guy holding up a sign, like you know, a white guy with a little sign, little Africa, a uh, little uh, Native American guy standing beside him with a sign there. Great. When are you leaving? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I saw that one too. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the fact of the matter is, is that. Um, it's it's not down to it's not down to e- the, the the immigrants. It's down to economics. Economics is, is created by the, the the financial power machine that is the world the the, uh, the world banking system, and that's all interlinked. Um, how we actually view ourselves and how countries want to be viewed is it's it's it, it, it's it's quite difficult at the minute because. When you actually go into the kind of the global uncertainty, yeah, we are at the minute there. Governments are trying to find people to blame, and kind of, and like when you don't have guys in power who have the best interests of the people at heart, are more interested in their own uh, self-interest, you know, our legacy, which is even worse. That's even a scarier thing. When you've got a billionaire or something out there in power, and what else can you give them? You know, you give him legacy. He hasn't got legacy. So if he's only interested in legacy, especially he's at, quite old, he's at the latter part of his life, then you got problems. Then you got something to worry about. But you look at how he, uh, and, and as well as that, he's not exactly an, an elegant statesman dealing with the, the other uh, powers of the world. And we got one now in England as well, which is one to, be, to watch as well, our Mr. Johnson, mm-hmm. who, who is someone to be worried about as well. But... Um, the whole Brexit thing in, over here is going sideways fast. And like, unfortunately for the vast majority of English people, they're coming, the, um, the marketing or how people see them. You want to look at self-sabotage, look at Britsic. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh-huh. Oh my God. But like, and, like, and how that was sold to the public. If you want to look at what not to do, put that, uh, transform what they did onto a personal level. And that's not what to do. Pure arrogance. Pure arrogance and ignorance. That's what that's what that's all about. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So um, to come back to what my point was in relation to the determination of your reality and how you see things, um, it is it is important to to think about how you want to be perceived, because if you can control how people perceive you, then you can control how they view you in the real world. So if reality doesn't exist and there only is perception, you can't control reality, but you can control perception. You can control how people perceive you. You can do that in many ways. Personal marketing, personal development, how you present yourself to the world. Shaving, non-shaving. Nice white shirt. I used to always comment on that there when you used to come into the into the office that you were always pristine. Yeah, because you thought about how you wanted to be perceived. Mm. So, in relation to self sabotage, so true. So true. If you want to have the world see you, you need to control their perception of you. And, and how can people go about doing that? You plan it. You sit down. You get on a piece of paper and a pencil. And you say, right, how do I want 
the world to see? How am I going to manipulate their view of me in order for me to get that job, in order for me to get that promotion? How are they going to perceive me? So they're going to see me as professional, flexible, willing to go the extra mile. This journey, this development of the perception or the manipulation of the perception could take six months to a year, but stick to it. And once it's on paper, draw up a contract for yourself and the contract's with you. I will be on time for work. I will have my clothes pressed. I will do an additional course this year. I will, I will, I will. And you sign it at the bottom and sign it again. You have a contract with yourself. That's how you change a person's perception of you. That's how you determine your reality in this world. Right. Wow. Oh my God, I'm going to have to put that into a nice one to two minute snippet for all of you guys out there and post that on Instagram because man, that hit me home again. That hit home for me again just because I think my perception course living here and of course what we've already talked about you know my perception of i think i created myself on paper without even knowing the perception of what i wanted people to look at me as that's exactly what i've created and so this is unbelievably important because a lot of us we just sit there in that victimization, just as I've been doing it. But you know what? It's just been fading away. And now little it's and bits and pieces, such as what you just said, always hits home. And I am always like, oh, my God, this is brilliant. Because now I see all these unbelievable opportunities coming into my life, maybe because I switched that perception of what I want people to see me as, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. You want to be perceived in their reality a certain way right you can't control the reality but you can control the perception oh man that is so brilliant man edward tell me tell me a couple things well you know what you've already said just the, the most brilliant things and you've already given actionable steps but is there anything else you want at these folks on this esl podcast what else what is it that you want to make sure they are left with and that they could take with themselves today? What can you take with you guys today? That, uh, to quote Neo, is that there is no spoon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay, okay, so enlighten us. There is no spoon. Right. There is only your perception of the spoon. So, as, as Neo says there, uh, yeah, he went, whoa. So like it's, it is that matrix moment and you've just been Miyagi. <laughs> no, it is. It's, it's, I'm coming from a person who genuinely has gone through a massive transition in his life. I was predominant. I left school quite early when I was, when I was very young. Um, I had a, a stereotypical alcohol problem. I was in manual labor for uh, uh, people who really didn't care if I broke my back or not. And so, because there was always going to be someone else that replaced me. So I was in that position and Eddie, wishing and... Hold on, can you yeah. hear me? Yeah, I can hear you perfect. Hold on, what's going on yeah. here? Yeah, I can hear you perfect. Okay, yeah, sorry I can hear guys, you we're perfect. actually having a little bit of malfunctioning, possibly on my end. I can, that I can hear you fine, buddy. Let's see what's going on. Okay. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? One, two, one, no, two, one. On two. your end. You know what? This is so funny. It's funny because a lot of people... 
Okay, hello? Hello, can you hear me? Uh, yeah, because my mic is actually going up, but... That, yeah, I can hear you perfect. There. I can hear you perfect. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I don't know if it's still recording for your end and we just can't hear each other, or is I it... Can, <laughs> I can hear you perfect. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> this is terrible. Oh, my God. You know what? But nonetheless, I'm not going to end this whatsoever, but you know what? It's just very unfortunate that it's going to end this way. But you know what, Eddie? This is what I'm going to do. Because I'm actually looking at you on video, I want you to finish what you were saying, and then I'm going to end this, all right? And I, I completely forgot what I was saying. The very end. <laughs> so you go on ahead and you finish. Okay, I'm, go, I'm going to continue after. on here. I'm going to continue on. I'm going to continue on. <laughs> I, as I said, <laughs> as I said, I personally went through great transition to my life. As I said, I had an issue with alcohol. I was uneducated. And I had a dream of who I wanted to be and how I wanted to be perceived in this world. I wanted to be educated. I wanted to travel the world. I wanted to kind of have a good job, government job. I didn't want to break my back anymore. I was so sick of it. And when the opportunity came, I was able to see it and grab on with both hands. And I didn't let go. I held on for dear life. And I took and I availed of every single opportunity that was presented to me in that, those years. And when I went abroad as well, when I went to Thailand, I met AJ, I also jumped on with them. I kind of, I, I seen when I met my wife, I wasn't scared. I kind of grabbed onto her with both hands as well and didn't let her go. And here we are back in Ireland years later, I'm kind of, things are moving on well, good jobs, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's all down to how I wanted to be perceived. And being perceived will determine your reality. You can manipulate your how you are perceived by people, and then that's kind of that's suppose that's it. I guess I guess that's what I have to say. Keep going, guys. Keep rocking and keep living. It's all good. Take care. Adios. <laughs> I love it because you know what? At the very end, if you guys are listening to this, I hope you heard Eddie, uh, because I sure as hell did it. But you know what? If you heard Eddie. I love it because his facial expressions and I, I picked up his language at the very end by like, you know, reading his lips and then he gave me the salute and everything. But man, Edward, you can hear me though, right? Oh yeah. Oh my God. So he 100%. can hear me. So maybe my MacBook is just a piece of garbage. But anyways, if you guys, if he can hear me, that means you guys could possibly hear me. So you know what, man? First of all, I just want to say big, big thanks, Eddie, uh, for coming on. And you know what? You do an entrepreneurship, too. I'm going to be getting into, like, business podcasts probably very, very soon. And so I'm going to have to bring you on there to talk about entrepreneurship because that is exciting. But you know what, man? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on here. Uh, for all uh, those uh, wonderful Trump supporters out there, listen, don't take anything too seriously. But again, you guys already know what this podcast is, is about boundaries and just completely destroying and obliterating boundaries. I don't believe in white. I don't believe in black. I don't believe in conservative liberal. I believe in unity. And you know what? This is how we're going to be able to fix this damn planet by coming together as people. So again, man, I am so unbelievably grateful. Eddie, thank you so much. Although it completely Better, fell flat, uh, and it's probably because maybe it's getting ready to end for whatever reason. But you know what, man? Thanks again. And guys, with that being said, thank you so much for tuning in to an ESL podcast. Stay tuned for more. Yes, I'm your host, as usual, over and out.